Assalamu alaikum alaykum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Ramadan Mubarak to you and yours. This Ramadan, as we all gather to share a meal with our loved ones, we need to remember those in Gaza who are also gathering to share a meal with so many who aren't there that were just there a year ago. Since October the 7th, the Human Development Fund has assisted over 200,000 people in Gaza, providing them with essential aid such as food baskets, water, hot meals, winter items, shelter, hygiene kits, and baby formula. Your generous contributions are making a significant impact, especially in Rafah. Let's sustain this momentum and continue providing crucial support during this sacred and blessed month. Please visit hdfund.org slash qalam. That's hdfund.org slash qalam, Q-A-L-A-M, to learn more about our global reach this Ramadan and choose where you'd like to direct your support during this blessed month. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make this month a time of mercy, solace, acceptance, and triumph for the ummah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. And may Allah continue to use all of us as a means and never replace us. Ameen, Ya Rabbil Alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. This is Abdul Nasir Jengda, and you're listening to the Qalam Podcast. The Qalam Podcast has become an important part of people's lives all around the world. There are millions of people benefiting from the podcast every single day. Thousands of hours of content, dozens of different series from all the different teachers and scholars here at Qalam. All of this is delivered to the community free of charge. We are excited and actively working to grow and increase our efforts to deliver more and more benefit to the community. We ask you to support our efforts and become part of the Qalam family. Please go to qalamfamily.com and sign up to contribute to this Sadaqa Jariyah on a monthly basis. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from all of us. Jazakumullahu khayran. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Alhamdulillah. Alhamdulillah wa kafa wa salamun ala ibadihi alladhin astafa. Khususan ala sayyidi rasuli wa khatam al-anbiya. Wa ala alihi al-askiya wa ashabihi al-atqiya. Amma ba'd. Today we turn to the life, to the life of Umm Salama radiyallahu ta'ala anha, the dear and beloved wife of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, one of the great worshippers and jurists of her time. Umm Salama radiyallahu anha's story starts with her being the daughter of one of the great leaders of Quraysh. She is married off to a noble man by the name of Abu Salama. She is referred to as one of the most beautiful women of her time and of the most noble lineage. From the wives of Rasulullah she is the last one to depart this dunya. She lived to hear of the martyrdom of Hussein and she cried profusely until the point that she fell unconscious 
and it wasn't too after that she departed from this world. She lived a very beautiful long life. The first part of her life was in Mecca Mukarramah while she was married to Abu Salama radiallahu ta'ala Abu Salama was one of the early people to accept Islam. Abdullah bin Abdul Asad. They say that he was from the first 10 people to accept Islam. From the earliest days. And soon after he accepted Islam, the moment after his wife, Umm Salama radiallahu anha, otherwise whose name is Al-Hind, she also accepts Islam. Not much time had passed. Their Islam became known to the Quraysh. And they began to treat them very harshly. Likewise, the punishment the other Sahaba had to go through simply because they were Muslim also intensified until it became unbearable. Rasulullah granted them permission to migrate to Abyssinia, a safe haven. Umm Salama radiallahu anha with her husband Abu Salama, they made this hijrah to Habasha. It was difficult for them. She is now in a foreign land with no home. And she comes from royalty in, in Mecca Mukarramah. A beautiful home, beautiful family, everyone that sees her knows her. But this sacrifice that she made, living outside of her comfort zone, taking on the challenges that she faced on the day-to-day now in Habasha, was because she was a strong and confident Muslim. She believed in Allah and His Rasul والسلام, and knew very well that the, challenge that the challenges that followed La ilaha illallah were very natural. Alam Iqbal, he says in one line, that every time I say La ilaha illallah, I begin to tremble. Every time I say La ilaha illallah, I begin to tremble. Because I know very well of the difficulties that lie on the path of La ilaha illallah. Once you say La ilaha illallah, the cockroaches will come out from the uh, woodwork and they will make it their life goal to make your life miserable. Umm Salama radiallahu anha was unfazed by this. She sought her reward in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. The news began to spread that the situation in Makkah Mukarramah was now much better. And a large number of the Quraysh have accepted Islam. And Hamza radiallahu anh has become Muslim. And Umar radiallahu anh has become Muslim. So she says to her husband that why are we in Abyssinia when we could be in Makkah Mukarramah with the most beautiful view of the face of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa They return back. When they arrive, it becomes clear very quickly that everything they heard was a form of exaggeration. Yes, Umar radiallahu anh did accept Islam, and Hamza radiallahu anh also accepted Islam. But the Quraysh had not softened up. They had become more intense. The fact that Umar radiallahu anh and Hamza radiallahu anh accepted Islam added a force from the side of the Muslims, and the Quraysh were willing to match that force. So things actually became very difficult during that window. But the two of them decided to remain in Makkah Mukarramah and not go back to Abyssinia while 
the companions, some of them made the second migration to Abyssinia. Some years later, when matters became very difficult on the Muslims, the Prophet ﷺ granted permission to the Sahaba to migrate to Medina Munawwara. Umm Salama radiallahu anha with her husband made the intention that it was time for them to migrate. They had a, they had a small child, Salama, that let's take our family to a safe place so we can worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala freely. They were from the first people that left Mecca Mukarramah with this niyyah of migration. From their perspective, this would have been an easy journey. Just leave Mecca, arrive in Medina, and everything is good and you know, safe. Little did she know that her life was about to get very, very, very difficult. They start the hijrah, Abu Salama, Umm Salama radiallahu anha, and their child Salama. They had just reached the outskirts of Makkah Mukarramah. Her family people, her tribesmen saw her. They quickly rushed in. They blocked off Abu Salama. And they said that if you're going to go to Medina, we're not going to stop you. But this girl from our tribe, she will not be allowed to leave. We will not let her go. As they were pulling Umm Salma radiallahu anha away from her husband, you can imagine the tears and the pain. She sees her family being torn apart. Abu Salama's family cuts in. They saw her, his tribe now enters into the conversation. And they say to Abu Salama that we're not going to stop you. But this child of yours, this child Salama, will not join the mother in that tribe. It will return back to our tribe. And the mother, as she's being taken by her people, her husband's tribe come and they take the baby away from her hand. And so in that moment of extreme pain, this family is being torn apart. Abu Salama had made the niyyah of hijrah to Medina Munawwara. The wife, Umm Salama radiallahu anha, is being taken in one direction, and the child, Salama, is taken somewhere else. Umm Salama radiallahu anha, in her own words, she describes that as one of the most difficult moments in her life. She cried and cried and cried. Every day, she would leave her home and head back to that place where their family was torn apart. And she would sit there in tears, crying in front of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for her family to come together. A whole year passed by and every day she did this. She would sit there and cry out loud, for her child and for her husband. Someone saw her, his heart softened, and he went to her family and pleaded on her behalf that release this woman, what have you done to her? Is this what we've become as a people? That you see a lady from your tribe going crazy and you're enabling this, you're making this happen? So finally, her tribe released her. Go do whatever you want. That person then went to Abu Salama's tribe and said that, what have you done, separated a mother from her child? Is this what humanity is? Is this the type of people we've become? Return the child back. So after some time, their hearts softened and they also released the child. Umm Salama radiallahu anha knew there was one step left for this. She needed to arrive in Medina Munawwara as soon as possible and be with her husband. So she took her baby and began the journey to Medina Munawwara. 
she had reached the outskirts of the Haram boundary, and there, a soon-to-be Sahabi, he wasn't Muslim at this time, he saw her, and he said to her that, I don't know what the deal here is, where you're going, but I know you and I know this baby. What's going on here? She said, I'm heading to Medina. He says to her that it is inappropriate that such a noble lady like you take this journey on alone. I will be your escort and guide you all the way to Medina Munawwara myself. She describes the moments of the journey from Mecca to Medina. It was a dangerous path. Anyone can come and attack you. She was alone with her child. But this man, he guarded her, protected her, and honored her. That he wouldn't look back at her while walking the way, holding on to her animal. And when it came time to settle, he would settle her horse by tying it, her animal by tying it to a tree, allowing her to rest, and then he would go far away. And he would settle there where he could see her and hear her, but he was not close to her. Until finally the entire family united in Medina Munawwara. And she describes that day as being one of the most important days in her life. That this year of extreme pain, where her family was torn apart, had finally come to an end. Her husband Abu Salama was a dear and beloved companion of Rasulullah He participated in the battle of Badr. He participated in the battle of Uhud. While he was fighting in Uhud, however, he was injured. The wound was quite deep and caused him a lot of pain. He was bedridden for some time. The battle of Uhud happened in the third year after Hijrah. They continued to medicate him and take care of him. At one point, it seemed as if he was on the path to healing because outwardly the, the wound was healing. But from within, it wasn't really healing properly. Until one day, the skin tore up and he began to bleed and his health immediately deteriorated. Um Salama radiallahu anha, she describes her interaction with her husband. An Ziyad ibn Abi Maryam qalat Um Salamata li Abi Salama. Um Salama radiallahu anha said to her husband, that I heard from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. I heard the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saying that there is not a lady whose husband dies and he is from the people of Jannah. And she does not marry again, but they will be together in Jannah. So, get, so come, so both of us can make a commitment that neither of us will marry after one another. So we can be companions together in Jannah. Ta'al, wa'ahidka alla tazawwaja ba'di wa la atazawwaju ba'dak. So the husband who was ill and in a lot of pain, he said to Um Salama radiallahu anha, Atutu'inani. Will you listen to me? Will you obey me? Qarat na'am. She said, Of course. فَقَالَ إِذَا مِتُّ تَزَوَّجِي That when I pass away, get married again. Don't stay alone. Find a companion and be happy. In another narration, Um Salama radiallahu anha says, that I heard the Prophet of Allah saying, إِذَا حَضَرْتُمُ الْمَيِّتَ أَوِ الْمَرِيضَ فَقُولُوا خَيْرًا فَإِنَّ الْمَلَائِكَةَ يُؤَمِّنُونَ عَلَى مَا تَقُولُونَ 
that when you are, when you are near a person that is approaching death or is ill, say good things. For the malaika, say ameen to your words. Then in another riwayah, Umm Salama radiallahu anha, she says that my husband became very sick. So I continue to sit by his side and say good words to him and encourage him. I heard my husband saying to me, Allahumma rzuq, Umma salamata ba'di rajulan khayran minni. Oh Allah, grant my wife a companion better than me. When he approached his final moments, Rasulullah came to visit Abu Salama. The Prophet of Allah sat and gave his du'as and he hadn't even exited the door, he was just leaving. And Abu Salama radiallahu an passed away. فَأَغْمَضَهُ Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam came back and he closed his eyes with his own hands. ثُمَّ قَالَ إِنَّ الرُّوحَ إِذَا قُبِذَ تَبِعَهُ الْبَصَرُ Prophet of Allah said that when a person passes away and their soul leaves their body, the eyes follow the soul as it leaves. The eyes follow the soul. فَضَجَّ الْمُسْلِمُونَ The companions begin to cry. The people that were there, they begin to... Dajja is a very intense cry. So the Prophet ﷺ then said, لا تدعو على أنفسكم إلا بخير Do not say evil and bad things فإن الملائكة يؤمنون على ما تقولون For the malaika say amin to your words ثم قال And then the Prophet ﷺ said اللهم اغفر لأبي سلمة O Allah forgive Abu سلمة وارفع درجته في المهديين And elevate his station in the guided ones وخلفه في and in another riwayah, the Prophet ﷺ said to Umm Salama radiallahu anha, Quli, say, Allahumma gfilli wa lahu, O Allah, forgive me and him, wa'aqibni minhu uqbatan hasana, and follow me with him a good return, meaning give me something good. Now that my husband has left, this could be patience, this could be Jannah itself, the dunya and the akhirah. Oh Allah, give me good after my husband has left me. Umm Salama radiallahu anha, she kept reflecting over that statement of Abu Salama. Before he passed away, he made dua for her that may Allah replace you with better than me. فَقُلْتُ مَنْ خَيْرٌ مِّنْ أَبِي سَلَمَةٍ I began to wonder, this is the riwayah of Ibn Sa'ad now. I began to wonder who can be better than Abu Salama. Some time passed. Her idda period, the waiting period, passed by. Abu Bakr Siddiq radiallahu anh approached her with the intention of marriage. She was a righteous woman whose husband, whose husband had passed away. So they wanted to take care of her. Abu Bakr Siddiq took the lead with the proposal. She, um, what, she turned him away and said, now is not the time for me to get married. And then one after the other, finally, 
a proposal came to her from Rasulullah And meanwhile, she's making this dua. Allahumma ajurni fi musibati wa khlufli khayram minha. Oh Allah, uh, grant me relief of my calamity and replace me with better than it. A proposal comes from Rasulullah And she says, فَكَلَّمَنِي وَبَيْنَنَا hijab. There was a barrier between myself and the Prophet And he spoke to me. فَخَطَبَنِي And he made his proposal to me. So she says, I said to him, O Messenger of Allah, this would be an honor to be in your marriage. However, inni imra'atun qad adbara min sinni. I'm old in age. I'm no young girl. Wa inni ummu aytam. I have young children as well from my previous marriage. Wa ana shadidul ghayra. And I'm also someone that has a lot of self-pride. If I see you married to another woman, which the Prophet of Allah was, this is not going to be easy for me. وَأَنَا شَدِيدُ الْغَيْرَةِ So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said to her, أَمَّا الْغَيْرَةِ فَيُذْهِبُهَ اللَّهِ As for your self-pride and your protectiveness, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will give you balance in it. أَمَّا السِّنِّ فَأَنَا أَكْبَرُ مِنْكِ As for age, I am older than you in age. So don't worry about the age. وَأَمَّا أَيْتَامُكِ As for your children, Leave them to Allah and His Messenger. We will take care of your children. So Umm Salama radiallahu anha was blessed with the amazing honor of entering into the relationship and into the marriage of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam. She becomes this great scholar, this great leader, this unique figure who was intelligent who was senior, who was close to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Umm Salama radiallahu anha, she was a voice in Medina Munawwara. She was a voice for the men and for the women. People from far and beyond came to sit with Umm Salama radiallahu anha. She was someone that Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam himself took advice from in the difficult moments. For example, during the Treaty of Hudaybiyah, when it became clear that the Muslims would not be granted permission to perform Umrah that year, and they had to return back to Medina Munawwara. The Prophet ﷺ instructed the companions to exit the state of Ihram and prepare themselves to head back. No Sahabi moved from their place. Everyone remained in their seats. And this was something that was out of the norm because when Rasulullah ever told the companions to do something, they would rush to do it. What's happening here? Why is no one moving? Apparently from the outside, someone can conclude maybe the companions were in disobedience to Rasulullah So the Prophet of Allah entered into his tent and it was the tent of Umm Salama anha. And he says to her that, I told them to exit the state of Ihram and no one moved. So Umm Salama radiallahu anha's wisdom and her intelligence can be seen through the following statement. O Messenger of Allah, they froze because they were hoping you would reconsider your position. It isn't out of disobedience. If you exit the state of Ihram in front of them, they will know this is the end of the matter and they will follow you because they love you that much. Lead them 
So the Prophet ﷺ exited the tent and in front of the companions he cut his hair showing that ihram is now done. We are not going to Mecca. This is over. And the Sahaba broke out into tears and they then followed the example of Rasulullah This is the wisdom and hikmah of Umm Salma radiallahu anha. Abdurrahman ibn Shayba narrates that one day I was with Umm Salma radiallahu anha and she said, she recalled the conversation she had with the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. سَمِعْتُ أُمَّ سَلَمَةَ قَالَتْ قُلْتُ يَا رَسُولَ اللَّهِ I said, O Messenger of Allah, مَا لَنَا لَا نُذْكَرْ فِي الْقُرْآنِ كَمَا يُذْكَرُ الرِّجَالِ Why is it that women are not mentioned in the Qur'an like men are mentioned? The Qur'an is always using the male pronouns. كَ يَا Why is it that مَا لَنَا لَا نُذْكَرْ فِي الْقُرْآنِ كَمَا يُذْكَرُ الرِّجَالِ And then she says, One day, قالت, One day, I was at home, and there was a lady who was serving me, and she was combing my hair. And while she was combing my hair, I heard Rasulullah wasallam saying, يَا أَيُّهَا النَّاسِ Oh people. So she got up and rushed. شعري, I wrapped up my hair quickly and got close to the door. I put my ear close to the, the, the tree that was right between my house in the masjid of Rasulullah to listen to what the Prophet of Allah was saying. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed a verse to respond to my concern. سَمِعْتُهُ يَقُولِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ تَعَالَى يَقُولِ إِنَّ الْمُسْلِمِينَ وَالْمُسْلِمَاتِ وَالْمُؤْمِنِينَ وَالْمُؤْمِنَاتِ وَالْقَانِتِينَ وَالْقَانِتَاتِ وَالصَّادِقِينَ وَالصَّادِقَاتِ وَالصَّابِرِينَ وَالصَّابِرَاتِ وَالْخَاشِعِينَ وَالْخَاشِعَاتِ وَالْمُتَصَدِّقِينَ وَالْمُتَصَدِّقَاتِ That in this verse, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for every trait mentioned both genders very clearly. So Umm Salman radiallahu anha would say, that this ayah of the Qur'an was a response to my request to Rasulullah This is an example of healthy, I know this is a you know, tricky situation, but it's, it's, a, it's, it's an example of a healthy sense of identity and wanting to be recognized. It's not unhealthy, it's not hateful, it's not full of vengeance, it's not poisonous. She understood Arabic better than anyone. And it was very clear that in the Arabic language, taghliban, you use one gender. So in every sentence, rather than saying you and you, anta, anti, for every time you were to, if you were to mention both genders, the book would just become, it would lose its eloquence. The Arabs didn't speak like that. It would be foreign. This is not the way you compose sentences in the Arabic language. You, you just use one gender while making reference to both. But she still wanted that recognition on behalf of herself and all of the women. That how amazing would it be that if we were, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala were to reveal a verse where women specifically are acknowledged. So then she says that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala revealed this ayah of the Qur'an. One time Umm Salma radiallahu anha says, I, that I noticed one of the most common du'as of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam 
was him saying, Allahumma muqallib al-qulub, thabbit qalbi ala deenik. O Allah, the turners of the heart, make my heart firm on your religion. I heard it not once, not twice, but I heard him making this dua again and again and again. She says, I asked, O Messenger of Allah, Awa inna al-quluba tataqallam? Are you saying the hearts change? For her, I mean, look at her story. She loved her husband, now she loves the Prophet of Allah. Very committed, very mature in her approach to things. Are you saying that the hearts can just flip? That you're here and tomorrow you're there? Qala na'am. The Prophet of Allah alayhi salatu wasalam said, yes. مَا مِنْ خَلْقِ اللَّهِ مِنْ بَنِي آدَمَ مِنْ بَشَرٍ إِلَّا أَنَّ قَلْبَهُ بَيْنَ أُسْبُعَيْنِ مِنْ أَصَابِعِ اللَّهِ that every heart lies between the fingers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. If He wills, He will turn it one way and that heart is guided. And if it's turned another way, that heart will be misguided. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala to not turn our hearts away after blessing us with guidance. She said, Ya Rasulullah, ala tu'allimuni da'watan ad'u biha li nafsi. Teach me a dua that I can make for myself. Qala bala, of course, I'll teach you one. Quli, say, Allahumma rabban nabiyyi Muhammadin, ighfir li dhanbi, wa adhib ghaydha qalbi, wa ajirni min mudillati al-fitani ma ahyaytani. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam gives her this beautiful gift as a dua. Um Salama radiallahu ta'ala anha, when you look at her narrations, she has so many interesting riwayat from Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, some relating to the matters of women. So for example, she says that, I asked, O Messenger of Allah, I have beautiful long hair and I like to tie them into, uh, into braids. So what do I do when I need to take a shower? Do I have to open my braids every time? It's very inconvenient. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, pour water, pour water over your head three times and that shall suffice. Such a beautiful convenience offered to the women of this ummah, tracing back to this practical and very real question of Umm Salama radiallahu anha. Someone once asked her, which action was most beloved to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam? She said, that which was done with consistency, even if it was small. She describes Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and says, إِنَّ النَّبِيَّ sallallahu alayhi wa sallam كَانَ يُسْبِحُ جُنُبًا ثُمَّ يَصُومُ Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam would wake up in the morning in the state of major ritual impurity and would be fasting. He would fast in that state. And then later on in the day, he would wash himself before the Fajr salah. Obviously, you need to take ghusr for the salah. But you don't need to be in a state of purity to start your fast. This is something we also learn from the narration of Umm Salma radiallahu anha. She teaches us that I was someone who would have a long garment on. Dhayl, kuntu ajurru dhayli. Dhayl refers to the back part of the female's um, cloak, their garment. So when I would walk, I would have this long garment that would drag behind me. Now you're walking in the streets, and the streets aren't always clean. Things get a little messy and they're a little dirty out there. فَأَمُرُّ بِالْمَكَانِ الْقَذِرِ وَالْمَكَانِ الطَّيِّبِ 
I would walk and sometimes I would pass through a small narrow path that had dirt on the ground and then I would continue walking and now there's a clean road and then I'm walking and then there's a dirty road and then I'm walking and then there's a clean road and my garment from behind is dragging all through it. What's the ruling here? She asked Rasulullah Wasallam. O Messenger of Allah, what do I do? So then she, the Prophet, she says, I heard the Prophet of Allah saying, That yes, the garment makes contact with impure ground, but when it starts making contact with the pure ground, the pure soil wipes away the impurity, you are in a good place. You're good to go. Don't worry about it. Rasulullah teaches her this, and, she, and, then, and then she goes on to teach it to other companions. She describes another moment. Zainab bint Abi Salama and Umm Salama. Umm Salama radiallahu anha's daughter narrates this. She says, one day I was with my mom and Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam entered into the home. And when he entered into the home, inside the house there was a hamaphrodite, mukhannath. And her brother, Abdullah bin Umayyah, bin Abi Umayyah was also in the house. Umm Salama radiallahu anha's brother was there and there was a hamaphrodite serving and working and doing some things inside the house. The Muhannath, this hamaphrodite, he said to Abdullah, Oh Abdullah, if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gives you victory tomorrow over Ta'if, then keep an eye out for the daughters of Ghailan. For when they walk forward, they walk with four, and when they return, they return with eight. This is a very physical description of the curvature in their bodies. Right? I'm not going to explain this any further. Not for this gathering anyway. So he's making a comment on and this whole idea of تُخْبِلُ بِأَرْبَعٍ وَتُدْبِلُ بِثَمَانٍ So you understand this idea of walking forward with four and returning back with eight. He was making a very specific comment on the curvature and the form of the female body. Do you guys understand this? Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi heard this. So Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa then turned to Umm Salama radiallahu anha and said, لا يدخلن هذا عليك A person like this should not be, alone, not be in this house. Someone who makes comments like this about women, yes, he is a hermaphrodite, neither male or female, legally speaking in Islam. There's a whole different ruling of how to deal with uh, the hermaphrodites. But there was a concession made for him because he wasn't fully male, that maybe he can be in the house and work and take care of some things. But if he has inclinations like this and observations like this of the opposite gender, then it is no longer appropriate for him to be inside the house of Rasulullah sallallahu anha. There are so many narrations of hers. And I'm just narrating some that I really love. And they're from different chapters and different, just whole different topics. One topic here, one topic there. But it shows us the depth of her knowledge. That's what I'm trying to demonstrate through these narrations. She says, the Prophet ﷺ said, this hadith all the young people know, mashallah. That if dinner is ready and iqama is being called, start with dinner. Right? In Arabic they say, that the dinner is before food. The idea here is that someone's really hungry, and food is being served. If they go for prayer, what are they going to be thinking about while they're in prayer? Karai, 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 karai. That's what they're going to be thinking about. 
Now, on the other hand, if the guy's eating kadai at home, some nice, good, tasty pishawari kadai, right? He's eating that kadai at home, and salah is going on, or he remembers I didn't pray salah. What's he thinking now while he's eating? Salah, 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 salah. That's why Imam Hanif said, I prefer that my food be about salah than my salah be about my food. Right? This is seen from this riwayah of Umm Salma radiallahu ta'ala anha. She narrates another hadith from the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa said, that you the people present your disputes to me. إِنَّكُمْ تَخْتَصِمُونَ إِلَيَّ وَلَعَلَّ بَعْضَكُمْ أَنْ يَكُونَ أَلْحَنَ بِحُجَّتِهِ مِنْ بَعْضٍ when you present your disputes to me, it's possible one of you may be better with words and can convince me in his favor. I, Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, am a human being. I will pass a verdict based off of the proof that is presented. If I pass verdict in your favor, while taking away from the right of your brother, فَإِنَّمَا هُوَ نَارٌ فَلَا يَأْخُذْهُ That is fire, do not take it. Right? Umm Salama radiallahu anha has this beautiful insight to how Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam passes verdicts and how he manages judicial affairs. That just because you convince the judge with a lie and the judge passes the verdict in your favor, that doesn't save you from, from jahannam. That doesn't save you from the punishment of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. This happens with divorces in our community all the time. People swindle their way through the courts. They take children unrightfully against the laws of Islam. They take money unrightfully against the laws of Islam. They abuse one another. They lie. They cheat. I didn't do this. I didn't do that. And they know with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they did all of those things. فَإِنَّمَا هُوَ نَارٌ لَا يَأْخُذُهُ that money that you're taking, that child that you're taking, that abuse you're denying if you did it, whatever the case is, you will have to answer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Umm Salma radiallahu anha, she says, one night I was sleeping with Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and he woke up and he said, La ilaha illallah, ma futiha layla min khaza'in, la ilaha illallah, مَا أُنزِلَ اللَّيْلَةَ مِنَ الْفِتْنَةِ مَنْ يُقِذُ صَوَاحِبُ الْحُجْرِ يَا رُبَّ كَاسِيَاتٍ فِي الدُّنْيَا عَارِيَاتٍ فِي الْآخِرَةِ The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam woke up in the middle of the night and he remembered Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and discussed the great possibilities that that night had to offer. There was khayr and there was also fitna. Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam saw that it descended into the world. And then he said, who will go and wake up my wives? Because it's possible that a person will be clothed in the world, but they will be uncovered in the hereafter. Uncovered of good deeds, you slept through the night. You didn't build your a'mal. You didn't spend that time worshipping Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Now this isn't to say that you shouldn't sleep at night. Sleep, get some rest, you need that for the day. But spend a few moments before Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. If you're going to wake up for Fajr Salah anyway, which you should, wake up a little earlier. Do a little tahajjud salah. If the hajjud's too hard for you, set an alarm for 3 a.m., wake up, do a little dhikr, la ilaha illallah, 10 times, do salawat a few times, do istighfar a few times, turn and go back to sleep. But every night, do a little bit of dua. Get into the baby steps. Build a small habit, any habit, of remembering Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. 
Um Salama radiallahu anha, after the Prophet وسلم, passed away, she held on to his possessions very dearly for barakah and for memory. Uthman ibn Abdullah says, Takhalla ala ummi salamata fa'akhrajat ilayna min sha'rin nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That one day we came to visit Umm Salama radiallahu anha and she went inside the house and came back with a hair of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. That I've held on to this hair of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So they had a chance to see it, these young men. فَإِذَا هُوَ مَقْبُوبٌ أَحْمَرُ بِالْحَنَّاءِ وَالْكَتِمِ They said that we saw it, it was dyed with hana and also with a dark color as well. As I mentioned at the beginning, she was the last wife of Rasulullah to depart from this world. She passed away in the year 59 after Hijrah. Some say it was 62 after Hijrah in the month of Dhul-Qa'dah. There is one narration that Sa'id ibn Zayd was the one who led her janazah prayer from the Ashara Mubashara Sa'id bin Zayd. But the more correct position is that it wasn't him. She had actually requested that he be the one that lead her janazah at one point when she wasn't well, but she recovered. And after that, he passed away. When her time of passing approached, uh, she was far beyond the uh, death of Sayyid ibn Zayd radiallahu anh. So her janazah in another position, in another opinion, was led by Abu Huraira radiallahu anh. As they lowered her body into the grave, her children, Umar, uh, Salama, Abdullah bin Abdullah bin Abi Umayyah, Abdullah bin Wahab bin Zama'a, were the ones, these are all family members, nephews and children. They were the ones that lowered her into the grave and she is buried in Baqiya. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala elevate her maqam. May Allah allow us to benefit from the knowledge of our dear beloved mother, Umm Salma radiallahu anha, who went through tremendous sacrifice during her life, yet at the end of it all, being separated from her child and her husband, and seeing the passing of her husband, was gifted with one of the greatest honors in the dunya, marriage to Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. And Nabi sallallahu alayhi wa sallam not only blessed her with his companionship, but also with a tremendous amount of ilm. Umm Salama radiallahu anha was a treasure box. She was a vault of ilm. I can't tell you how many narrations of hers you will find in the books of hadith. Every third, every third, every fourth page you will find the riwayah of Umm Salama radiallahu anha. Umm Salama radiallahu anha. An Umm Salama radiallahu anha. The, the, the gifts that she left behind for the ummah, her children, us, are more than we can ever imagine. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reward her in full for every hadith that we benefit from and we act upon. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala allow her knowledge to be a source of nur in her grave. May He resurrect her with her beloved. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. Today as we close our session, just wanted to take this moment to remind everyone, you are all fully aware of the situation in Palestine and in Gaza. You are fully aware of the lives that have been lost and those that stand to be lost and the difficulties that lay ahead. Friends and family, friends and family of those friends that we know who are currently in Gaza, they are messaging and saying that 
we don't know if we're going to live to the next day. Literally, there are friends who have been sending me screenshots of their family members that we don't know if we're going to live tomorrow. Sending voice notes of without to their family members in America and apologizing for their mistakes and kind of doing their farewell. One of them was saying that people in our family have uh, already prepared our kafan. That's the state that we're in. So this is no small matter. The least that we can do is to make a heartfelt dua for them. Go reach deep into your heart and make dua for them as you would make dua for your own child. Imagine your child called you and said, Mama, I just put my kafan together. I don't know if I'm going to make it to dinner. I'm in a landlocked situation where no food, no electricity, no water is being allowed here and 300,000 from the reserves have been um, called and everywhere we look there are people standing with weapons of destruction and we will probably be decimated very soon. How would that mother feel? So make dua for them. Make a lot of dua, make a lot of dua. For those of you that have the ability, we should be praying. And making dua day and night. No moment should pass by, but you're remembering them. There should be a heavy feeling in your chest all day. There should be a heavy feeling. When you wake up in the morning, the first thing you should check is their hal. Before you go to sleep, the last thing you check is their hal. How are they? Are they okay? How are they? Are they okay? Go sit with your family members and talk to them about this. Have a conversation. Talk about this. Get comfortable. We are an ummah. If we don't take control of our narrative and if we don't tell our family members and talk to our parents and our children, then who will talk to them? You want them to turn to CNN? You want them to turn to Fox News? These people are such big liars. And they've become so accustomed to just spewing out whatever narrative they want for their voter base and for their uh, agenda that there is no longer any truth in it. What do you trust? Who do you believe? Have these conversations with your own family. I literally went home and I turned on YouTube and watched every video about Palestine and its history with my children. I said, I want you guys to watch all these YouTube videos. We're going to watch them together. We are going to do a marathon. It's going to be two hours. Buckle yourself in. I want you to see how this map shrinks. I want you to see the end of the world war. I want you to see the world the British had to play. I want you, I want you to see these videos of our Palestini brothers welcoming the Jews from Europe into their land. And I want you to see, while they're welcoming them, welcoming them here, how in Europe the Zionist lobby is picking up and they're planning to take advantage of the generosity of Muslims. I want you to see how they're entering into this land and how they're taking over. And now within a few months, millions of them have poured in. And they're now outranking the Muslims in their, uh, in their numbers and population. They were overpowering them. Look at this. This was the land that they were in originally. Now look here, now look here, now look here. All of it's been documented. And their answer is, Abba, why is this happening? How is this happening? What's going on here? What's, 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 what is this? 
we need to talk about these things with our family members, with our children. And if you adults don't know this stuff, then that's another shame. What's the state of the ummah? Jahil, la shu'ur. No, don't feel anything. No knowledge of what's going on. No dua, no emotion, no feeling. And lastly, these are moments of istighfar and tawbah. These are moments of istighfar and tawbah. وَمَا أَصَابَكُم مِّن مُصِيبَةٍ فَبِمَا كَسَبَتْ أَيْدِيكُمْ وَيَعْفُوا عَنْ كَثِيرٌ Let it not be that Allah is holding the Ummah accountable because of our shortcomings. We turn to Allah and we ask Him to forgive us and to shower His Rahmah on the Ummah of Rasulullah May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala relieve our brothers and sisters and make these matters uh, easy for them, bless them with afiyah. May he give strength to every mother that is embracing her child, not sure if they will live the next day. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shower his rahmah on the mothers and fathers and siblings that buried their beloved ones and have been burying them for the last 50 years. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala elevate their maqam. Sabaran ya ala yasir fa inna ma'uridakum al-jannah. Wa sallallahu ta'ala ala sayyidina Muhammad. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.